Hi, and welcome to You Perform's second uh, in our series of podcasts. And it is an absolute delight to welcome a really good mate of mine, uh, an absolute legend of sport and a legend of skiing, Britain's greatest uh, female skier, four times Olympian, seven times FIS World Championships, seven times national champion. I mean, the list goes on. Shemi <laughs> Alcott. Welcome, Shemi. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. That's a hell of a list, isn't it? It really is. I mean, that, that's how, better. How Sometimes I get announced as um, Olympic winter gold medalist and I have to walk on stage afterwards and I have this moment of just embarrassment because I think because my profile is quite big because I've worked so hard and grafted at it. Some people genuinely think I must have won an Olympic gold medal. And because I've retired quite a long time ago, they're like, it's manifested itself. And it's like, quite oh, remember, yeah. Yeah, have I forgotten that I've won an Olympic medal? But I, I have not. I just uh, work hard to promote my, my brand. And it's great to be, you know, on your platform today. Well, listen, it's great to have you on. It's, it's interesting. I'm doing some work in the States at the minute. And they've got this penchant for introducing you as, introduce me as an Olympic champion. Mm, and and, and I don't think, they don't mean Olympic gold medalist. They just mean like a champion of the Olympics. <laughs> I'll tell but, you what, yeah, as, long not... as, as long as people talk about my sport in terms of skiing and not my little foray into ice skating on Dancing on Ice, I have been announced as Dancing on Ice star. And I'm like, I, I'm definitely not a Dancing on Ice star. I on. did Dancing on Ice because of being an alpine skier. And I'm like, okay, let's go back to, you know, where the root of my life was dedicated. <laughs> now, listen, tell me, having done Dancing on Ice, was there a little part of you that thought, that's what I should have done? as a sport I should have been oh. an ice dancer not one iota it is a brutal sport um and the thing is you know I know you speak to quite a lot of athletes and sports people I'm possibly unique in that I did my sport because I love skiing just the pure passion of loving skiing which is why yep. in retirement I can be so content you don't retire from marathon running to then do marathons okay I retired from alpine downhill skiing so that I can keep skiing because my body was so ruined by the end of my competitive career that I was jeopardizing my life in the sport that I loved. So I think yeah. that's, that's why I get on really well with quite a lot of athletes who have done kind of adrenaline sports, maybe not done it because they wanted to get famous or because they were just dedicated to winning, but just because they like the pure art of it. And I think yeah. that's why I was able to come back from injury. So a lot of me is just loving skiing not essentially trying to, to to win the Olympics. Yes, that was my goal at the time, but I still have so much passion for skiing now and I still do it all the time. Yeah, and as, as sort of the, the, the evolution, because I mean, you were in the middle of that evolution where we went from sort of pure alpine, you know, it was, it was sort of very purest sport. And then all of a sudden we got this explosion of X games and, and freestyle yeah. and, and half pipe and, and all of those. And actually now, you know, for me, one of the greatest events at the, the Winter Olympics now is actually the ski cross yeah. uh, or the, bo the board cross. I mean, it, 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 it's an interesting one. Is that because that presumably just opens up other opportunities to do something slightly different, albeit still on snow? I think every young person now can aim for the Olympics. There's so much uh, differentiate in the sports available. Like it used to be that you were creative. So you went to 
snowboarding to hit the jumps but now that can make you an olympian as well and i think it's so important i mean i remember growing up seeing all those kids in waterloo skateboarding going how cool and mad are they now you go there and they are training in that same location for the olympics like they want to be olympians and i think that's so healthy to broaden what sport is to young people that it's not just about racing the clock or being judged it's just about being creative and finding something that suits you and i think that's so important because for years sport was like you said about these kind of blue ribbon events like wearing lycra and being very contained in in that is your mindset whereas now it's exploded and whoever you are you can be the best that you can be in in a multitude of sports out there yeah 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 and what about because because you know you have to correct me if i'm wrong but you've done the arctic circle race haven't you yeah, no, I mean, that was just brutal. That was like, I wanted to do <laughs> basically, I read about this and it was called the world's toughest ski race. And I think I read yeah. about it in Nat Geo magazine. And I thought when I retire, I'll do that. Um, and I might have blabbed that to someone. So then when I retired, I had to do it. I didn't even realize it was on these kind of tiny skinny skis. <laughs> and it's definitely an endurance sport athlete. And I was like, right, I can do this. And I joined up with a bunch of guys who do these crazy challenges, endurance challenges called, and we called ourselves the Arctic Five. So myself and four lads went up to Greenland and it was really, really tough. I think, so I actually, I was trying to show off on the first loop. So this, this event in Greenland is the big deal. So it's a big event that happens every year and the whole of Greenland comes out to watch you. Um, I was quite a, a visual eyesore because I had long pink hair and I was wearing British flag Union Jack boxers on top of my uh, light nice, nice trousers saying ski for <laughs> cancer on the bottom. Um, and I was like, this will be fine. You know, I'm just going to go there and be vanilla. I'm not going to win. And then I went around this first loop and this guy, he must have been about 80, overtook me going up this tiny hill, herringboning, stamping his feet in. And my ego went, oh, my God, I've just been overtaken by a granddad. Um, so I tried to race him down the hill thinking, hey, I'm a downhiller. This is my you know, fourth. This is my strength. And my legs just started going out and out and out. And I did the splits into the crowd and I became like super famous overnight in Greenland. Like everywhere I went, people were trying to take selfies with me, not because they thought I was an Olympian or anything like this. They were just like, you're the girl who did the splits into the crowd. And I had pink hair. I couldn't hide myself. And it was just, I mean, I, I semi-tore my groin and because uh, I was so embarrassed, I kept going and managed a couple of days. And our last day, actually, the, the event got cancelled um, because overnight we had this storm and we lost a couple of tents and it was quite dangerous. And at the end, they had this big meeting saying, listen, we want to give you all free entry for next year. And I was the only person who was like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Once yeah, done that, I was tick like, the box. Tick. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but it was actually, that was really important for me to sign up because in transition for a retired athlete, you do have a little bit of identity loss and a lot of people struggle with confidence in who they are when they decide to retire from their sport. And even making that decision to retire is really tough. I had it taken out of my hands. I, I would still be skiing if my body could handle it. And basically what happened is I broke my leg a bunch of times and I had this surgery before the Sochi Games um and after the sochi olympics i was expected to announce my retirement in the finish with bbc graham bell there with the mic so shemi what's your big announcement and i was like actually i'm not going to retire i'm going to keep going i love it i had this crazy like adrenaline buzz and he was like no 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 you, you are retiring i'm like no no no, i'm not anyway went to the next world cup in Crans montana <laughs> and crashed and i hurt my leg again and i and i quickly went to zurich to see my surgeon and 
And he said, listen, Shemi, I saw what it meant to you to make that last Olympics, but I just want to let you know that if you break your leg now, because I've got a I've got a metal nail down the bone marrow in my right leg, my leg is still broken and it will always be broken. It will never heal. Um, he said, if I break that metal work, then you could have to take my leg away from my knee joint down. And so I was like, I'm jeopardizing the rest of my life in a sport that I yeah. love for another couple of years competing when I, I do have this compensation and I don't know if I can win races. And that was great actually, having someone to make that big, big decision, take it away from me so that I could move on. And then yeah. when I moved on, my first, as a, as a woman in retirement, my first thing was like, right, I need to have a baby. <laughs> because I was like, <laughs> who, who am I? Who am I? And then I was like, no, yeah. I don't want to rush into that. I need to find you know, confidence in myself away from Shemi the skier like I've always been Shemi the skier so who am I without the skier yeah. so I signed up to the arctic circle race and a bunch of other challenges to give myself that goal right okay I've got this physical goal I've got this thing ahead of me that I want to achieve and it gave me that um you know why am I getting up today that's because of this and I think that's really mm. important in retirement it, it's, it's an interesting one I talk an awful lot about this um I mean because I, I was chair of the BOA athletes commission at the time when lottery funding came in and I think I was one of the very few dissenting voices at the time for exactly what you describe is I think actually that the, the, the real worry for athletes actually is, is the point of retirement. And it's, it's, it is akin to retiring from work. And unless you've got a, an exit strategy, unless you've got a plan, it, yeah. it's a frightening time, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, I mean it, you know, what we know is that depression, suicide are very high mm. in retiring athletes because of exactly what you describe. You, you, what is, people say to you, what do you do? And you say, I'm a skier. And then the following day, people after you retired, people say to you, what do you do? You say, oh, I used to be a skier. Mm. It's like, yeah, but what do you do? It's like, well, I used to, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't and know what, other, what, do. what yeah. other professions do you retire at, you know, 35, 40? You yeah. know, people yeah. like you've retired, they either think you've been super successful and you've made enough money to live off or something disastrous <laughs> has happened. So there's not that mindset of, look, this, this door shut because that path was over and I've got to find another door. I mean part of me is so grateful for ski sunday because i i've always been a fan of the show i watched it since i was five it was yeah. the only time my crazy household came together so then to be offered a you know a little snippet in retirement right would you like to do a couple of features and those features become right would you like to present women's skiing and then you know that 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 ball keeps going and, and you have that raison d'etre you have that you have that Id new identity yeah well, this year you became anchor. I mean, you were, you know, I know, the, crazy. The, the, the top dog. I was brilliant, though. I mean, how, how how was it in that sort of role? Is it very different when you're in that role versus you know doing the occasional feature in that? Um, I think. I mean, I was I jumped in at the deep end. This year was a crazy different year because of COVID, and yeah. we had a team of three of us working on the whole show. So there was two presenters, Ed and I, and Zoid, the cameraman, and we were actually, I think, the only BBC staff who were working outside of the UK so all yeah. eyes were on us to see how would this work with that you know in COVID pandemic times and it was a crazy amount of testing every two days we did testing it was it was a slight sacrifice I don't like to say this because I was until I watch because you can say it if you like but I'm not going to listen to it because every time no, I, I saw know. you you were, in, you were in Larks in, and, and what must have been one of the best snow seasons for decades I mean it looked absolutely incredible was it as good I mean, as it looked I skied three months every single day to the extent that my feet were ruined at the end because I had this, it, the conditions were so good and I had this guilt. I was like, 
no one from Britain can ski. I, I've got to get up at 7.30 on my day off and ski. And we were, we were getting like chest deep powder and everyone was saying that this is powder that you only normally get in Japan. And oh, we, were, we they call it frothing. We were just out there just going as hard as we could. And, um, and there was a bit of, you know, should we be doing this? But at the same time, we, we were trying to help people escape. Um, and the best thing that happened to Ski Sunday last year was that we had so much snow in the UK and everyone got to yeah. go skiing and was sending us the most amazing, we could have done a whole show on skiing in the UK and people getting overexcited from the three-year-olds to the granddads making jumps in their backyard. And it was just amazing to like be a little bit of a part of that. And great, those, those, the videos that you show at the end are just brilliant and it's amazing. Oh, okay. what I, what I love about the Brits is how inventive they are. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, we've got we've got our own ski run in yeah. the back garden. Yeah. And you have a look at it. It's about three meters long <laughs> onto oh a God. railing. You know, we had we had these equestrian athletes who didn't have a hill in sight, having the horses tow them around on their skis, <laughs> and then people making their own like skis out of a table, turning it upside down. It was just it's just amazing, incredible, and I think um. That, that inclusivity is what Ski Sunday needs. Like, yes, we need to show yeah, elite absolutely. racing and we need to show features, but we also want to see the heart of it. And why the show has worked for 40 years plus in the UK is because we all fantasize about having a go at something. And, and the thing yeah. is, we're scared of the fact that it's really expensive to buy skis and poles. But actually, if I turn a table on its back and grab some umbrellas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Voila. Around, I've arrived, yeah. So, because for you, you, you obviously downhill was the main event but you actually competed at, uh, at super g and slart slalom i mean that's quite unusual for a downhiller to do slalom but what was obviously i'm assuming uh downhill was your love but uh, but was it i mean did you actually enjoy doing the other ones i'm a really impatient person um and i don't like repetition in my life i don't like doing the same thing over and over again so dave riding our incredibly talented salmsky right now he yeah. hits salms gates i don't know ten thousand a month like again and again and again yeah. i can't do that i get bored i need stimulation from elsewhere so for me doing all four disciplines meant that one day i could go and train for a 50 meter jump and the next day i could hit some plastic down and the next day i could do giant slalom there was so much variety and yes actually if i look back i could have been more successful if I'd if I'd chosen a discipline or a skill set to hone in on but I would have lost my love for the sport that's not yeah. who I am I think you've got to look inside and be like right what ticks what what stimulates me and I get stimulated by having a crazy life and being as busy as possible still now so I think actually for me doing all the disciplines suited who I was um, yeah. and I do have a screw loose so I think downhill came naturally Actually, early on in my career, I had a coach who said to me, you'll never be a downhiller, Shemi, because I had this A-frame tuck position. And I mean, that pissed me off so much, gave me a chip on the shoulder. So I was no, like, I'll, I'll show it. him. <laughs> I'll show you. That's why I'm going to do it. <laughs> so listen, it is an unusual year this year, obviously. It's been an unusual period, but we've got Tokyo 2020 now in 2021. But the, the interesting thing is that actually the, the Winter Olympics follow almost immediately on i mean so, you know for sports lovers it is just such a brilliant time because we get to watch some brilliant sport what how, how's how's the sort of winter olympics coming on how does it look are you are you going to be out there uh, commentating um so i think i'm going to be in a studio in manchester so last olympics i worked with claire balding who's my friend yeah. my idol mentor um in the studio and then i went out to to korea for a 
uh, two days actually. Um, and I think this year I'm going to stay in the studio with Claire, but we are really, really excited for it. I think it's very important. The world has sport now. I know this is yeah. you know controversial, um, but I think instead of seeing it as Tokyo or Beijing, this needs to be seen as like the global games and something that we are using sport to bring us all together. As long as it's a safe environment for the athletes and spectators, I, I think we need it. We need something to watch on TV that isn't reality TV or reruns of Desperate Housewives or the news. Like we need, <laughs> we want to yeah, see people. True. We want to see people who have been in our position in lockdown um, and grafting their talents on the world stage to go, okay, I might not be hitting the personal best that I did four years ago, but look at what I've managed to do. Um, I, I saw this article about this, this uh, athlete, an archery athlete who's had a baby um, in the delay of the Olympics. Did you see this? And her freezer is full of, of breast milk because she's going out there, can't take her baby and, you know, making this huge sacrifices, but still going, I'm going to be an inspirational mother because I'm showing mm -hmm. that I have this goal and I'm going to do everything. And, and my baby will still be content and following the path that I wanted her to follow. And I just think, um, I think sport is really important right now. I mean, we've seen it with the football currently. Yeah, it's no, no, for sure. Well, I'll tell you, prior to that, I mean, for me, European Swimming Championships this year were just something else. Yeah. I mean, and it was amazing. You, you know, you look at you look at that and you look at, you know, they, they've experienced exactly what everybody else experienced to some extent. And they're still dedicated, still working hard. You think, you know, PT comes out and breaks a world record. And amazing. it was just, it was fantastic. European indoor athletics and the Diamond League athletics. And it, there's so much sport it can be done safely. Obviously, it's not quite the same because you haven't got the crowds and all that sort of thing. But actually, for the television viewer, I yeah. mean, for me, it, I, I, I would dare to say it's the one thing that I really missed is just of being course. able to watch sport. I mean, yeah. it, it was, and, and you and I, of course, you know, we do miss sport. But I think generally people have missed that. Amazing. It, I mean, yeah. and, and, and the, I mean, Fizz, the International Ski Federation last year, almost ran a whole year of races. I think a few they had to postpone. And it was just amazing the, the change of their focus. So for the athletes, it became more about it being an exhibition because instead of people watching live, it was all about TV. So they invested more in the TV angles and it made people actually understand the speeds and the and the steepness and the severity of the of the ice. And I think that was, I mean, I remember watching some of the Swiss races and skiing and they had a unbelievable, they had a zoom in the finish area, huge, huge TV. And when the athletes came through the finish, they couldn't look for for their fans, they weren't there, but instead they looked at this screen and it was alive to their family at home watching them. Yeah. So you could see them celebrating or commiserating and it was just this, oh my gosh, this person who's just raced down this course is human. They've got a kid at home, they've got a granddad, they've got parents and it, and it just, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps now because I think that's yeah, so that's important true, to realize yeah, yeah. the story behind everyone and, and, and that dedication to their craft and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think what we do is we create athletes and, and we we sort of present athletes as being this superhuman, unique, somewhat sort of bizarre end of the spectrum. But actually, these people have got have got family. And actually, while we're on that subject, of course, you're a mum. Yes, my, my <laughs> toughest job. 
Yeah, what, it's, it's really funny because oh, people right. often say to me, what, what's the toughest challenge you've ever done? I said, bring yeah. up children. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is a tough gig. I mean, I used to say that um, I thought that I chose the toughest thing in the world to be because I wanted to be a ski racer living in London where there, we have no snow or mountains. And then, yeah, then I became a parent and I was like, <laughs> oh, this is a whole new level. And this level of oh. fatigue. And I mean, <sighs> I used to have a superstition where I had to sleep nine hours a night so that I could function as an athlete. I'm like, okay, now I need to get rid of that because I'm on two hours and I'm here and I'm present and I'm just surviving. And I'm that swan who looks all calm and their legs are just like, just just about turning so because so, we've done a few things together around the yeah. sort of exercise and pregnancy piece mm -hmm. i mean I, just just for, for people listening i think you know obviously one of the things that i'm you know, obviously you know promote an awful lot is around the, the role of physical activity but during pregnancy yeah. incredibly important and what was you know what's great about your sort of story is actually you know during pregnancy the amount of exercise that you were doing you know it obviously changes because of because of biomechanical issues around the bump and all yeah. these sort of things but you were as active as, as ever during pregnancy yeah yeah and I think actually if I'm really honest it wasn't um it, obviously it's not for vanity it wasn't even to physical it was for my mental health you know I think mm -hmm. that I I need to train I still need to do it now I have a huge guilt complex whether that's around what I'm eating or how I feel about myself or how well I sleep if I don't train so, and that doesn't have to change. Yes, you have to adapt as your bump gets bigger. Um, but I remember, you know, I got a lot of grief from people. I had, I had a guy, I remember come up to me in the gym when I was lifting weights with my first and tell me that I shouldn't be doing that. And I allowed him to say that. And I allowed to ha him to have the conversation with me. And then as he walked away, I thought, I don't even know if this guy is a parent. Like, where's his knowledge come from? So yeah. I did go up and he said, no, I don't have kids, but I know, I just know. I just know you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, you don't know me, you don't know my past, you don't know that I've lifted weights for the last 20 years. And then, you know, obviously I, I also had to work, so I still skied, but in a safe environment. Um, but I, it was the most judged I've ever felt, actually, being a parent. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we talk about trolls in sport and people having their opinion, but actually everyday life, you get more trolls being pregnant and what you're doing and how you're bringing up your kid than, than anything else. And that is your own judgment. And it takes a lot of confidence to go, hey, mister, I'm doing this because I need to do this. And, and actually, even I got trolled by fellow mums when I went back to work. So I had terribly timed babies. It took me 18 months to get pregnant with my first. I was addicted to caffeine and my body was in fight or flight. Um, and actually, I tore my ACL and had to relax. So I got pregnant. That was the only benefit of tearing my ACL. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get away. That was what it was. <laughs> um, and I actually healed four months after surgery from ACL. I could ski again because I think my body went, oh my gosh, you're pregnant. We need to get everything else sorted. Not that I tell everyone, <laughs> if, you, if I've torn your ACL and get pregnant, you're healed. <laughs> but um, but um, when I, when after I had both babies in January, I did go back to work two weeks later. Um, and that work involves skiing. And I, I remember people, women judging me saying you shouldn't. And I'm like, listen, I have a very short timeline for my work during the winter. I need to earn so my boys can have you know, the luxuries that we have and so we can pay our mortgage and I've got to go back to work. And if I think I can do it, surely everyone should support me. And it was just like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be back at work. Yeah. Like, listen, but basically, always the interesting thing about that—it's always based on bias and dogma. Because yeah. when you when you press those people, and you say, "Why shouldn't I be doing it?" It's they like, well, "Well, you just shouldn't, just yeah. shouldn't be doing it." It's like yeah. convention. I think because what was always interesting 
for me about that, you know, when I released the book and, and, and spoke an awful lot about it, it's amazing how much the media focus on the fact. I remember doing a piece at Wimbledon when Serena Williams came back as if it was, as if it was you know, miraculous that, that one of the world's best tennis players could play tennis after she'd given birth. And you sort of think, you know, I mean, but that's, I, I always excuse people in a sense because I think it's down to education and ignorance really as to what is Definitely. why that they're pushing back on that. But, you, but you know, here you stand, you had a, two very healthy pregnancies. Uh, two and very that, and healthy you, pregnancies. And, and now you're a mother trying to deal with it. <laughs> and now I'm finished, first of all. <laughs> I always wanted um, I always wanted two boys and a girl and I've got two boys now and everyone's like you, you said you wanted another one I was like yeah I did I did say that and I would love to be a mum of a girl because I'm all about empowering young women to, to to take risks and be more confident in themselves but it doesn't have to be my daughter I realized I can I can support and mentor other people's daughters because I think yeah, with yeah. our lives as they are we're very lucky to have two healthy boys and it would just be carnage. I mean, I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't think, I don't think I could handle it. And I, and I don't know how these single parents do it. I have so much oh respect. Oh my goodness. No, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. So Shemi, I mean, we, we're, we're coming towards the end. What just, what's, what's next? What's the future hold for Shemi Olcott? I, I don't want to change who I am. I want to still be this person who wakes up every morning trying to be a better version of myself. And I, I live by this motto that I never lose, either I win or I learn. And I think that even though I'm not winning medals or trophies now, it's still about taking risks with the, the life choices I make, the work choices I say yes to, and, 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 and being a stronger and more persevering version of myself. And now that doesn't have to mean throwing myself down a hill at 92 miles an hour. It's about relative risk. And I just think it's very important that especially post pandemic, we don't come out and live in our comfort zones because we will never be the, the best version of ourselves then. And I think I'm, I'm trying to say yes to all these different challenges. I'm trying to juggle lots of balls. And a lot of time I drop these balls. A lot of time I make mistakes, but that's okay because it shows that I, I'm on that limit and you've got to pass it to know where that line is. And I think that a lot of us don't do that. They think, oh, we, we, it might happen that I can't do that. What's wrong with failure? What's wrong with failure? Then you know that you've taken it too far. I think, I, and, and I love a thing that you often say, and that is that, that you're either winning or you're learning. Yeah. That there, that there, exactly. is, no, there is no losing. It, it, you know, the no. Failure, failure is fundamentally a construct. Actually, as long as you learn from that and you move forward and, and you know, I, I, I always, there's a lovely, uh, a lovely saying, which was Einstein, so I won't take credit for it, but he said stupidity is repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Yeah. And I think the, the key actually is that when you are failing, if you learn from that, you can adapt and then reduce the potential for failure as you move forward. Exactly, and for some people, like when I talk about taking risk, some people think, well, you know, I'm not a risk taker. I'm like, well, what about a habit changer? Because that can be a big thing for people, especially right now with, you know, our, our fragility and our mental health actually changing a habit and doing something slightly different every single day, but sticking with it, even if it feels uncomfortable, even whether that's, you know, with your nutrition, I think drinking more water, it's for the very basic levels of what we put inside ourselves to how we view that world outside, we can make changes. And that might be a risk for some people. Drinking another liter of water a day and being scared that in a meeting, they might have to go to the toilet. I mean, that sometimes is a risk for someone, but then the benefits they feel afterwards is huge. So I think it's all very relative. Small changes make big differences. Exactly. Well, listen, Shemi, it, it has been, as always, 
brilliant <laughs> to have you on. I love your energy. It is so, I mean, it just, it's infectious. So it's brilliant to see you doing well. I'm looking forward to the next season of uh, Ski Sunday, but more importantly to the Olympics, I think. Uh, and thanks very much for coming on today. No, oh, thank you. Well, I hope we get to meet sometime in the future for work that isn't about Bump It Along because Bump It Along is is in my past. So you need to write a book about, you know, post-pregnancy or limits or risk or something so that I can get involved I, with that. I, I think I'm going to do something about skiing in larks and then yeah. going to come and join you out there. Boom. <laughs> Manifest that. That's a great idea. <laughs> I love it. Cheers, Chevy. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Prof Talks. I hope you enjoyed this episode and make sure to tune in next time as I will be chatting to Irish Olympic judoka Ben Fletcher and how he has gone from breaking his leg to securing his spot at the Tokyo Olympic Games in a little over 100 days. This podcast is brought to you by Uperform, the UK's leading sports nutrition brand where every product is targeted at optimising your recovery optimizing your performance, and most importantly, optimizing your quality of life. As a thank you for listening in and supporting this podcast, head over to www.u-perform.co.uk to try you perform for yourself and use the code POD20 to get 20% off your next order.